Hello and welcome back to our study of the pastoral letters. I'm glad you could join us again. We'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 4 today. Uh, I know this, this setup looks a little bit different. I normally have a desk here in front of me, but uh, we're in the process of kind of rearranging our studio. We've been working out of this space for almost a year now, and um, it needs a little, you know, we've learned a little about what, what works and what doesn't in this space, and so we're going to kind of retool a little bit, uh, rearrange at least, and, uh, and make this a little more useful for what we're, we're trying to do. But in the meantime, 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, last week we talked about um, the, the role that Paul was calling Timothy to assign of elder or shepherd uh, for some and for deacon or servant for others. And we must be careful not to make those uh, too much into kind of priestly offices. Uh, but we have to uh, understand the purpose of those roles and the qualifications and why those qualifications are required for those roles. So we move into chapter 4. Uh, after Paul has discussed what he calls the mystery of godliness. Uh, and he says now, verse 1, The Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the uh, insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God cre uh, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So what he's talking about is a specific thing that's going on uh, in their part of the world. There are groups coming around speaking in the name of God and the name of Jesus saying that there's some things off limits. No marriage. You must eat uh, certain foods. So they're, they're talking about uh, dietary restrictions, celibacy, uh, and to uh, you know avoid certain things. And Paul says, no, God doesn't put restrictions on you. That's not the way this Christian age is going to work. God says... It's for you. I've, it's been made for you, and it's open for you by, by my grace and by the power of the blood of my son. And so these people are false. But Paul is making a prediction, or he is reiterating a prediction made by the Spirit, that in later times, some are going to leave the faith. Some are going to fall away. Some are going to wander off and be led astray by these, um, these teachings, which are incorrect. Verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, and it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. All right. Uh, want to talk about this for just a little bit. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. What he means is, you need to warn them. You need to be standing before them, reminding them of the true teaching of God's word. And we, when he says doctrine there, our minds go to what we define as doctrinal disagreements and doctrinal obstacles in our world. That is not the same thing because when we find we have doctrinal differences, what we really mean is we have differences of practice, difference in worship style, difference in belief about particular aspects of our theology. The doctrines he's talking about are the perversion of Jesus Christ, the changing of the gospel, to put Jesus in a different place or a, or a, a subjective place to what it is that, that these people are promoting for their own self-gain. 
And so he says you need to be encouraging and teaching them to hold fast to the true doctrine, which is simply Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he died for our sin. He says don't have anything to do with these silly, irreverent myths, but train yourself. And then he says, you know, bodily training has some value. Working out is good for you. Uh, going for a jog, getting on the bike, lifting weights, uh, those things are good for you. They have some value. But he says godliness is of value in every way. And why is that? Well, Paul says because it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. All right, what does that mean? That, that it has a promise for the present life and the life to come? I, I've been asked before, um, you know, what if I find out one day there is no God? Or what if it turns out there is no God? There's no Jesus. None of this matters. None of this is real. What if the doubters, the skeptics, uh, the atheists and agnostics, what if these people are right? What if, what if he's not there? Well, I would be disappointed to find that out. But I would not regret my life. I think some people look at faith and faith in God as restricting ourselves in some way to a certain way of life. But what those people fail to understand sometimes, and what I wish we could articulate better, is that we do what we do and we live the way we live because we believe that it's the best life right now. We're not just doing good things or trying to do good things in order to score points and have enough to get to heaven. We believe that if we walk by faith, we will be counted among the saved. We believe that by faith we are saved through grace and, and, and through Jesus' blood because of the love of God. But we walk the walk that we do because it is the best life that we can be called to. Think of it this way. What are the greatest commandments? Well, you have loved the Lord your God. Um, love something greater than yourself. Hold yourself to a standard that is not your own. Reach higher than your own being and give everything you've got to achieving that. Okay. What about love your neighbors yourself? Okay, love everyone around you the way that you care about yourself. Think of their needs the same way you think of your own needs. Okay, now tell me which of those things would make life less good to live. I don't see where what God asks of us or the example Jesus gives us requires that we have less than the world around us right now. We're not sacrificing blessings now for blessings later. The Bible teaches us that to live according to the promise of God and to live according to the teachings of Jesus brings us benefit in this life. We live at peace with those around us. We're abundant in love and kindness and generous, generosity. People are drawn to us because they see Jesus in us. Now, are there negatives sometimes? Yeah, sure. Are we persecuted? Are we beat up a little bit? Are we, are we disliked and treated poor? Yeah, all that. But when you weigh that with the benefits of living the life that Jesus calls us to. There is blessing in this life and in the next life because we will dwell with the Father. Verse 9, the saying is, trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For uh, to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Now that's interesting wording. He is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. 
Now, I don't, I, I don't know how to interpret this, and I don't read Greek uh, really, uh, but it's really interesting because we would say that he saves those who believes, full stop. Uh, the verse here says he saves all people, especially those who believe. Now, if you want to interpret that to say he is the savior of all people, meaning he has the potential to save all people, and that he, it's especially true of those who believe because they're saved, okay, maybe so. But, you know, part of me thinks, part of me just thinks there's going to be more people in heaven than I realize. There's probably going to be more people there than I expect are going to make it. And I think that'll make me happy. I think that'll make me happy. Um, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Now, this is an important verse, verse 12. Let no, and this is where we get the idea that Timothy is like, uh, you know, college age, like he's a young man in his 20s. He's, 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 pretty, he's middle-aged by this point. But in the grand scheme, you have to understand what's being asked of him for his age and his level of, of training. Verse 11, command and teach these things. And what else, Paul? Verse 12, he says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, until I come devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to uh, exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. All right, I'm going to get to this last verse in a minute because it's really important. But let's back up. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Don't let anyone treat you badly because you're younger than they are. But set an example. Now this, I used to read this when I was younger and think, ha, ha, I've got a little weapon in my back pocket for when someone tells me they don't have to listen to what I have to say. Um, that, that Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But look at what the second, it's, there's two ways to look at this verse. And I discovered that at a certain point in life. One of them is empowering to the young person to say, don't you put up with someone looking down on you. Don't you tolerate someone not giving you the fullness of their attention and, and, and uh, full weight to what you have to say. But I've begun to see it differently. Maybe that's because I'm getting older. <laughs> but I'm beginning to see it differently because I know how I was when I was younger. You know, I was a little full of myself and I, I was holding on to this verse saying, I'm not going to let someone treat me that way. And then I read the second part of the verse. He says, but set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity are a few areas where young people really aren't very good. Their speech is coarse, it's flippant, uh, it is full of ignorance, Purity is a, a far more difficult thing to maintain at that age and at that time in life. We don't understand love. Our faith is immature and not deep. Our conduct certainly is impulsive. Paul says you need to be the example in all the ways that young people are never the example. He is not saying don't tolerate someone looking down on you. He's saying, don't give anyone a reason to look down on you. Don't act in such a way that they have an excuse not to listen to you. Because, he says, you've got a gift. 
You've got a gift that was given to you. The elders laid hands on you. They prayed. And God, through his power, through the Spirit, gave you this gift. And you need to live in it and be immersed in it. But you will have that gift stripped away from you. And Satan will win if you give in to the foolishness of youth. I love 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and I love it because, man, I thought it was my free pass when I was younger to say, you have to listen to me. But it was some really direct and deep instruction, and it still is. It still is for me. Because if I have any sort of gift at all, if what I do in sharing the gospel and in, in studying scripture and teaching it to others, if that in any way is a gift, if that in any way is something that God has blessed me with, don't you think the devil is trying 24-7, 365 to derail that plan? Don't you think he's nipping at me to, to go this way or that way? To give in to the foolish pursuits of youth? The ignorant, coarse, flippant things? And I can't stand there and say, don't you look down on me, because that's not what Paul says. This is not a free pass. It's instruction. Don't give people a reason to not listen to you based on how you live and how you talk and how you act. So this final verse here is verse 16, and I really like this verse. It's very important. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, some translations say, guard your life and your doctrine closely. But I like the way the RSV says it here. Uh, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Take care of yourself. Watch after to make sure you're living a righteous life and that you're, you're being cautious. And watch what you're teaching. Always be mindful that what you're doing is focused on the Spirit, is grounded in Christ, and is being done to the fullest of your ability because you're going to save yourself. You're going to save yourself by knowing Jesus and pursuing him, and those who hear you will be saved by understanding that as well. So you better guard your life and guard your teaching and and take good care. See, this, this chapter is instruction to a young minister. And I say young, I use it loosely. This is instruction to a minister. So it speaks to me quite a bit because it's my chosen profession. But all of us, on some level, are called to live the life of ministry in the Great Commission. And we have to heed the words of Paul. Look out for those people that are slipping away. Stand before them and stand firm in the truth of the gospel. Do not give people a reason to marginalize and disregard you and you hold on tight to the words of God and to the teaching of the gospel and of Jesus because it's going to get you there and it's going to get everyone else that hears you there too. But don't let Satan trip up your ministry. He's trying to undo you. All you preachers and teachers out there, all you Christian people trying to fulfill the Great Commission, Satan's after you. He wants nothing more than to destroy your ministry. Don't let him. Don't give him a reason. Don't give him a foothold. Stand strong. Pray for strength. And we'll pray for you as well. And next time we'll get into chapter 5. We'll get into some more general instructions to these people that Paul's dealing with in Ephesus that Timothy is helping 
to leave. That's next time. We'll see you then. Thanks so much.